Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Hope you are having a wonderful day, and especially for all of you who are graduating, whether it is high school, college, um, post-grad degrees, whatever it may be, uh, congratulations to all your hard work and accomplishments from the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Joining me is Micah Current. Micah, you work at a university. Has all the graduation ceremonies taken place already at Miami? They have. Um, last week. Mm. um the well yes at the time of this recording so it'll be two weeks this coming by the time this episode drops two weeks will have passed before uh since the last final and um commencement ceremony commencement ceremony was two weeks ago on saturday so um yeah they're gone for the summer and i started summer school i've only got one more year i'm almost done um do you have summer stuff or are you just doing yeah writing? i'm taking i'm taking a summer class so you know it is what it is like it's not bad i was telling somebody they're like they were uh when i told them that i was taking summer classes they were like isn't that hard and i'm like yes and no because it's a it's a sprint course and but i think the difference between you know sprint courses or summer classes when you and i were in undergrad you know 10 yeah. 15 years ago uh was that professors would try to cram 15 weeks worth of material into three or four weeks now it's like we kind of realize it's un- you know unreasonable to ask of our students. So I think they hit the highlights. At least in my experiences, I've taken a, a class over winter uh, in January and now in the summer. Um, the professors are like, okay, we realize this is going to be a little bit more difficult to to cram that much into three or four mm-hmm. weeks. So they, uh, for example, the, the the class I'm in right now, they do it by module. And so there's eight modules in four weeks. So there's two projects or two assignments due every week. And it's it's accelerated, but they hit the bullet points of what the class is all about versus trying to cram 15 weeks into three or four weeks, which I think is a good method. And I think it's great that they realize that, hey, these students got enough on their plate. Some of them are working full time and it's kind of unrealistic to, you know, ask yeah. folks to to do all that. So um, I don't know what your your situation's like or if it's just. So I think I think for us, summer's just pretty. I know like when I was at Anderson. It was like you had summer one, summer two, summer three, summer four, and it was like you're cramming. But I think the only summer class I really took is I took a social. I had like a, I had to take like another like liberal arts class, which was a three hour class. So I took like a social, like um, think it's like race and ethnicity in America. That's what I took, and then and then after I submitted my application for graduation, they said I was one credit short overall. So then I took golf over the summer and played <laughs> golf and then I got a grade and I passed. So the account was your gym credit. You said, yeah, it was just, I, I only had one credit could be one, anything. And I'm like, well, what's a one credit class golf. Okay. I'll take golf. <laughs> then actually that was even shorter because the uh, professor uh, was going down to Florida. Cause there's a couple of AU students who are going for like the college, like uh PGA tour down in Florida. So it was like I had one week with the professor to talk about golf techniques, and then she was gone for the other three weeks. So it's like, okay, play two 18-round holes of golf, come here on this day to film yourself, and then take a test and turn it in, and then that's it. So that was it. Um, I remember taking – I had to have like a sociology class, psychology class, but a gym mm -hmm. credit too in undergrad. And also a health class. And so, like, I remember my last semester before I graduated, like, I had to have this health class. It was one of the few electives that I didn't take the entire time I was an undergrad. 
and I took it online and it was actually surprisingly easy. So, um, yeah, I wish I could have played golf for a, for an elective. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh goodness. But before we dive into our topic today, uh, story's gone wild. Um, story's gone awry. Story's gone awry. Like I tell you what, like, it was funny, and I, I think this is more of a funny story. So I'm at my wife's. Uh, my wife graduated with her uh, master's in teaching. So we drove back to Virginia over the weekend and had our ceremony. And um, you know it was pretty good. But like, if you I know, and that's one thing that like, if you lived in the valley of Virginia, everything's on a hill. Mm. So I mean, it's almost like when you drive on West through West Virginia, you see all these houses on mountainsides, and you're just like, "Oh, if there's ever like a landslide, bye bye home." Like kind of like one of those things. So they had, so they had like these outside of a building. They had all these chairs set up, and that's where all the graduates sit. And then everyone else had to sit on this hillside with like blankets or chairs or whatnot. So I had the kids. And then Laura wanted us to dress up nicely because it was going to be a little bit chilly. It was, gonna, it was like 48 degrees when we woke up and looking at the weather ahead of time. It's like, oh, it's only going to get a high of like 65. So let's dress. So the, my son's dressed up in like suit pants and a t- suit shirt. Lizzie's dressed up in a dress. I'm dressed up in long sleeve shirt and dress pants. We're sitting on the hill and it was fine, but we're going through everything and everything's going pretty quickly. But then this is, was also the president of the university's last uh, commencement ceremony because she is retiring. So when it came to like the big presidential commencement speech, it was like, I'm not going to make this very long. And then she just went on and on because her doctorate was in music. So she was talking about crescendos and the Beatles and everything else. And I'm like, and like this old, like, 14th century like like folk song that was like done and then some person in France kind of redid it and like all her studies it's like I don't care like like my kids are complaining because they're hot and 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 sweating and then they go through and one of the big things at Mary Baldwin they have like a a physical they have like a health center. So they have a lot of, they graduate a lot of nurses and physical therapists and everything. So they're going through the list and you're reading through this. You're like, okay. And then they say, and again, this is just for graduate masters, doctorate. This is what this is all for. And then the lady goes, I would like now like to do this charge to approve these, uh, nursing bachelor of science and nursing and you could just see everybody on the hill looking at each other going like what what mainly because a this is not only the higher above you know the post-grad stuff but then you also see that the bachelor of nursing it was like one full page of the bulletin and everybody's all hot and tired. It's been long. It's already been an hour already. We're still waiting for the ceremony to go. And they just called two people's names because I guess they got their, they did enough work that they got not only their bachelor's, but they also got their master's in nursing. <laughs> so they got their stuff and they said two. And then after the lady said, okay, everyone, please clap for this. And everyone was cheering because they thought they were going to be here for a long time. I have to read all these names. How big <laughs> of a school was it? Was that? Oh, it was Mary how, Baldwin University. No, but I mean, how big of a school was it? Like, like enrollment? 
you know what? It, the enrollment has gotten larger because Mary Baldwin was an all-female college, one of the few in the world. And then probably the last three to four years, they decided to make the decision to make it co-ed. Um, so I'm not sure how much their enrollment Fall was. of 21 was 1,489. Yeah. So pretty small well so the reason i'm asking is so miami so where we work at miami miami runs about 16 to twenty thousand students given each year and so for uh um, we have regional campuses and then we have the main campus my wife and i work at the main campus but for the main graduation that happens in may that happened a couple of weeks ago they have the big ceremony on the football field which is like all the undergraduates, all the graduate students, master's and doctorate students. And then they have divisional ceremonies. So like College Creative Arts has a ceremony. The Farmer mm-hmm. School of Business has a ceremony. The College of Engineering has a ceremony. So they have all these individual ceremonies, which only have, you know, two, three hundred people, right, that are all graduates of those colleges, right? The big ceremony has four to six thousand, depending on the year, right? They only acknowledge doctorate degrees for that ceremony so they have the president come up and give his remarks they have the speaker come up for the, the honorary doctorate and then they acknowledge and hood the doctorate people the people that mm-hmm. have got their doctorate the rest of it the rest of them don't get to come and get their diplomas they literally just say hey would the college of creative arts stand up would the college of business stand up would the college of arts and sciences stand up and that's it so that ceremony is literally only an hour because it, they would be there all weekend scott if <laughs> If they, if they announced all four to six thousand names they'd be there all weekend yeah i hear you <laughs> so i was like that's why i was asking um, how big the school was that laura had um, graduated from yeah i also find it funny like with college graduations and maybe you see this too where they always say when they're going to read off the names and especially since a lot of people they were doing a lot of hooding mm-hmm. it's like please hold your comments and applause till after everybody's name is called and then, of course, the very first person gets called and <laughs> they all clap anyway, <laughs> screaming and yelling and stuff. And then, or like one time, it's like, That's my wife. That's my wife. You did it, baby. And everyone's like laughing. It's like, it's funny because someone starts screaming. You hear someone going, like, Please, please hold your applause. And then the second person, Please, please hold your applause. And then after the third person, they're like, Okay, we're not going to do this anymore. We're just going to keep going. They realize they lost. It's like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people say because I think every every graduation ceremony I've been to, whether it was mine, uh, my wife's, my sister's, um, I know my uh, father-in-law graduated with his teaching thing after he retired from the police force. No one ever stays quiet. They're always so loud. They're like, woo, yeah, yeah. Like, no one follows the rules. So anyway, what about you, Mike? You got a weird story? Uh, Yeah. So... <laughs> It doesn't involve hand, san- hand sanitizer. <laughs> um, it's not a graduation story. Um, but we've been, you know, we've, I've shared that we've been on this journey and uh, attending the Presbyterian Church in town. And um, my wife and I, granted, I think the last two or three churches that I worked on and was on staff at, we didn't have pews in the sanctuary. We've always had chairs or an auditorium kind of set up where we've had chairs instead of pews. And so um, the one church I worked at, the chairs were always different. And so like I never sat in the same spot twice. So and this Presbyterian church, there's pews. We walk in, 
And every week, we've been going for almost two months now. Literally, we've sat in a different spot every week. The guy that is the, um, he's the, I think he's the chairman of their board. I know him. He's a really nice guy. His name's Mike. He comes up to me. We sat in the very back row yesterday, just like in the back corner. He comes up to me. He's like, he's like, you know, Presbyterians don't change seats. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, we, we, we have our pews. We have, we have our space. And he was, he was totally kidding with me. And so, Scott, do you remember, like, I don't know if, if, if any of the Church of Gods that you had been a part of did the whole chairing of the service thing like they did back in the day when I was a kid, meaning that they would get up and they would read the announcements or they'd read the scripture mm-hmm. or they would, you know, introduce the songs or, or whatever. They would, yeah. they would, quote, chair the service or kind of like oversee the service. Yeah. Um, I remember do- seeing that when I was a kid growing up in my dad's church. And um, they still very much do this at that at the Presbyterian church. And so I know where Mike sits and he, he was chairing the service yesterday. And so he sat up in the very front next to the pastor. And so service got done. And I was like, so why do you get to sit up front and you get to change seats? And he was like, he's like, you know, you're right. <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm just teasing you. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding with you. Mike. it was just, it was funny how you said that, you know, Presbyterians. And then I was like, well, what about Pentecostals? You know, if the spirit moves them, do they move from pew to pew? And he just uh, like he, he just moving up from the pew to the floor, shaking. Yeah, pew to the floor, pew to the pew to the next pew, up, up on the tree, running around on the, the roof of the building. No, but it's it's been it's been fun um, getting to know these people. They're the, they're very sweet people, and um, although it's very I guess outside of my comfort zone to to go in a more traditional setting, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a uh, it's been really cool to go to church there and just to, just to be a part and not, they don't bother us. They know our story. They know where, um, where we've struggled and, um, yeah, just, they've just loved us. And I think that's what we've needed in this season. And, um, it's interesting because, uh, they're, they're trying to, um, do some church, church revitalization and, um, I think they want to ask me to to help with that, but they um, they just want to give me my space and respect that. But um, we left church yesterday and we went to lunch. My wife and I were having this conversation, but like I was going to ask you and your opinion. But like when you were in Virginia, was it a was was it a smaller town like a rural community? Yeah, it was a very rural small town. Okay, and so in Bexley, it's it's obviously a, a, you know a suburb of Columbus and it's a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger, but it's still pretty small. It's like we're in a bubble. Yeah. It's it's so, weird. Like, yeah, it's in a bubble. So I, I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm i trying to figure out, and, you know, you're working on a PhD or a doctorate of ministry, but, like, I don't feel like there's no perfect science to growing a church. And I think that churches are changing the way that they do things. Um, in respect to um, how they do assimilation, how they grow churches, how they grow ministries, and like mm-hmm. the, way, the way the church looks outside of the pandemic in 2020 to now, um, it's it's kind of remarkable because there's no science really. Like, but like I think, and Alicia and I had this conversation, but like, do you? I guess what I'm saying is like. 
we had this conversation when we talked about the church planning thing with with Ohio Ministries. Yeah. Talked about we're going to get into the church guard conversation in a minute, but like the idea of like let's plant more churches in the state of Ohio. Well, you've got a hundred congregations in the state of Ohio. It's just where they are, location, 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 right? So like. I'm sitting in this community where we live and, you know, we have a Mennonite church, a Nazarene church, a, uh, a Lutheran church, a Presbyterian church, t- two Baptist churches, two non-denominational churches, a church of God, the Anderson, the church of God, uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. So there's like 12 or 13 churches in this little community where we have like 3000 people. Yeah. Um, I don't think churches are going to grow in small communities. I don't think they can. And I don't it's... know. If- Obviously, God can do whatever He wants. He can bless, but like it, it's yeah. just. It, it's well, a, I think. What yeah, are your thoughts I, on that? Like, I was just like, in this. Yeah. This so here's here's my thought, and and I think really, it really depends on if someone does their homework and they know their demographics, they know their area, and they kind of know kind of the social economics of their area. Can a smaller church or can a church thrive in a smaller community? I would say, yeah, because in some ways, if you're, I mean, if you have like a big, gigantic million dollar building that you're, and your heating bills like five figures every, (laughs) every year. And, but you're in like, I don't know, you're, you're in like Stanton, Virginia, you know, then yeah, you're probably not going to survive from a, from an economic standpoint. You have to also have to remember that like, you know, I mean, I knew, I know like when gas prices were low, it's very easy for someone to say, well, I like this church. So I will make the effort to drive 30 minutes to go to church and then 30 minutes back to go home. Um, and then once, of course, gas prices start rising and the cost of travel gets a little bit more higher, then you're thinking, okay, I really don't want to have to make this thing because it really is kind of affecting our personal finances and we have kids. And, you know, so there's a lot that goes into that from a, again, um, but yeah, I would say, but it's also not a guarantee that if you go into a big city, that it's going to grow and you, or and you plan a church is going to grow either because you could think like oh it would be almost like if the church of god decided because right now in bexley we have thing in bexley we have three synagogues and we have probably maybe five at least five churches within within the city limits mm-hmm. um so, like, let's say if, like, the Church of God decided to do a church plan in Bexley, first of all, it's like, okay, well, first of all, this is a very affluent community, and a lot of the churches that are kind of in this area are a lot of liturgical churches, so a Catholic church, a Lutheran church, a United Methodist church. Um, so if you go, you're going to have to, A, figure out what you're going to do. Plus, if you're thinking about buying real estate or building somewhere, there's really nothing you could do. So you're going to have to rent a space, and the rent's probably going to be astronomically high. So really, you're going to have to bank on, can I convince these people to come to church? And then you're also at the point where you also have a big Jewish neighborhood, a lot of Jewish people live in Bexley. So you could be putting like flyers on windshields or going door to door and asking people, and you may find out really quickly 
that probably eight out of 10 people you talk to are of the Jewish faith and they go to synagogue on Saturday. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And not only that, because of the community, I just found this out because they're talking about 4th of July parade that they Bexley does, which is a big thing in this community, which I think a lot of communities have big 4th of July parades. But one of the big things is, is the idea or kind of the mentality is, is that if the 4th of July ever fell on a Sunday, it would be, oh, the church can change their worship times to kind of, you know, so that it's not going, so services aren't going on during the parade. Like the church should change their times for the parade, not the parade change their times for the church. That's the mentality. And if that is true and people in churches do change their worship times on Sunday or decide they're not going to have service on Sunday because of the parade is on, you know, the fortress lies on a Sunday, then you have to be aware of that too. And I think that's where it gets really hard, which means you know, if you can funnel money into communities that are already there, maybe they struggle with a couple things, but those people have already been established in those communities. And I think if you are living in a postmodern, especially in our postmodern culture now, even if you build something, you know, 10 years ago, you could do a church plant, people get excited, people are going to try it out and test it out, see what it is. And now you could build a church plant and no one can show up. Mm-hmm. because you know a lot of people are like not trusting a church it's like oh hey here's this new church and we're i think fun. there's too many though too yeah there's like too many th- and then pe- like well, you drive down this that drive down main street in any community in in, in rural america or even yeah. you know you know suburban suburban america like suburban america wow excuse me and like you see i don't know let's drive down main street scott of i don't know columbus you're gonna see the Catholic Church, the Episcopalian Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Lutheran Church, and they're all going to be like right next door to each other. So people are going to go to the churches they want to go to. But mm-hmm. to your point, uh, you could build a brand new building. And I think a great example of that down here, excuse me, where we live, um, uh, I think it was in like 2017, 2018, there was a brewery that was built uh-huh. and they shut down after COVID because they just, they didn't make enough money. Right. But when the article was printed, the building and the land, they owed over $60 million on the land and the building. Jeez. And it's like, no wonder you couldn't survive. What was your mortgage every month? <laughs> yeah. So you could do the same with churches. And I'm like, I, I'm just wondering if there's like, you know, to your point, we've we've had this conversation, you know, on another episode, but like, it's just this, is it necessary to plant more churches? Yeah. Because like you said, you could plant a church and have all the funding and have all the flashy lights, but people may not come. You could have an empty room. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, again, I don't think there's a perfect science to it, but like, I, I remember going to a, a conference years ago and this church had, you know, 10, 11,000 people going to it on a Sunday. And I looked at the pastor and I was like, how did the church get to be this big? And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders at me. Yeah. <laughs> And I bet if you asked Stephen Furtick that at Elevation, or if you asked, you know, Brian Tome at Crossroads, like it, it's just church culture is fascinating. Yeah, and I think even now, like unless you have a big name, like if you plan a church and you're part of the SBC, you know, you may have a big following. Or you know, before, like I say, like probably like ten years ago, you know, because you know, at the time of recording, you know, Timothy Keller passed away. 
Mm-hmm. And he was kind of part of the, he was very big, even though he's Presbyterian, he also kind of became like a voice of like the reformed movement, even though that's more Calvinistic. Um, but he's had like a God of influence within the reform movement. So it's almost like just being associated with that big boom when the reform movement came, like with the Mars Hill and whatever John Piper's church is called, like, like if you're associated with the reform movement, then it's like, okay, yeah, we are part of this big movement that just kind of happened. Um, you know, SBC is pretty big, you know, or if you're tied, like, oh, here, here's a Bethel plant in uh, Dayton. It's like, oh, now people probably will go that because they associate that with Bethel music or with the big Bethel church or the Bethel school. So, you know, you get that sometimes name association can kind of be a big factor in that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you keep spending money to build church plants, and that's always the thing too. And I understand kind of the idea of, oh, a church closed. And then once we got all the money from people buying the property or the building or another group coming in or real estate and all that stuff, then we'll funnel it in to build new churches. Like I get the idea of that, but then there's also a part of me that goes, you know, if there's a church that's really struggling, but they have good bones and they, they ha- they're in the right direction, they just need a little bit of financial, or maybe they just need, can we afford to hire like a legit worship leader for this church? Cause they don't have one. And that's kind of like their main downfall is they have just random people leading worship and it's not polished it's very bad like like hey can we hire like can we have enough money to pay for a part-time worship leader for two years to try to see if that will you know help not only move everything but then you know hopefully that'll bring more people in so then that way we don't have to take state money to pay for a worship leader and then we can or if we're still not making enough bank, at least we can say, okay, well, we see that th- we're going in the right direction and this is good. So we're just going to have to move some finances around or pull stuff out of our endowment or all of our hidden funds that we have in the church and then go from there, which I have a funny story about hidden funds. So I'll probably talk about that next week. But anyway, um, the topic today we're going to talk about, Micah shared with me, and it's funny because I'm glad you shared it with me because I checked my email and I have not received this email. So I don't our, know fr- our friend Jordan, I, I texted Jordan last week and he he didn't get the email either. So I forwarded it to him as well. Yeah. So I never got the email. So that's, that's weird. So I don't know if it was just like to, since you work with, um, since you do all the uh, ordination stuff, like leadership focus, I'm going to know if you're getting the email. So it's more of like kind of an internal one to like all the leaders letting like, Hey, we're letting you know this happens. And then there'll be another email. That will come out later? Like, I don't know. But it does seem like that communication within the Church of God has not been great ever since the launch of Atlas. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, and I mean, I know we're, this is not the topic we're talking about, but I mean, I've gone on Atlas and I put in information about like, you know, how I'm like working at CSRM and all this other stuff because you can add certain things. and. I'm looking at it and it's like that information's not even there. I even went up to kind of change things. I went to go edit my profile so I could add that stuff. I'm like, why that's not there. And I just get this spinning logo. Like it won't even go through. And then I think I had the same problem where I was just curious to see what the price was when they upped what the price is for minister registration. I went to go click on the button buttons disabled doesn't work. So it's like, okay. So we again, we have another website for ministers that doesn't work. 
and not talking about uh, the ministry connector, but even 24-7 Chog didn't really work that well either. So we're just going to combine two non-working sites and merge them together and hope they work. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the reason why we're bringing this up is because Micah informed me that the rate for ministers, because every year uh, ministers who are ordained within the Church of God or within any movement, or any denomination, you always have to kind of pay a fee to kind of keep your license active. Um, it's for yearbook purposes, or at least what they tell us is for yearbook purposes. It's for like 501c3s that are under the COG umbrella and everything else. And um, yeah, it's being raised. So what what is it? What is it now? Because I can't even find that information because the site's broken. So also a question that I that I've never been uh privy to find the answer to is what happens if you don't pay your fee? Well I, I know that answer. What what's the answer? So if you don't pay, you basically will lose your license and you will no longer be an ordained minister. And the only reason why I know that because in Virginia there is a guy, a couple of pastors who just I don't believe that because I know people that haven't paid theirs for years. And they still practice. Well, and they still. And maybe that's the. Th- and maybe I don't know because there's been some people who have had auto pay on their thing. Okay. And they think that their things going through, and even not only that, but also for their churches that they pastoring was on auto pay. Okay. And then they get a letter from Anderson. Like I think one guy got a letter saying, "Hey, you haven't paid your ministerial dues for the past four years, and the churches, and if you don't pay." you are in compliance and you're going to lose your 501c3 for your church and you're going to lose your minister's license. So then he goes on there and they're basically saying, he's like, wait, no, because I had my card on there. And like, oh yeah, the website's messed up. It, it wasn't taking those auto payments. But then they expected him to pay all that back tax. So not only pay four years of minister thing, but also four years of the church's minister thing too, which was almost $300 for a little tiny small church in like, you know, in Virginia, and I'm thinking, wait, what? <laughs> like, it's like, why should they pay if it's your screw up? You know. Um. So a couple of years ago, I I found out that I was a couple of years behind, mm. and so I called Anderson one day, and I was like, "Hey, I'm just uh wanting to check in and um." I want to figure out how to how to pay this. And I think this is kind of around the same time where right before Atlas, but like ministry connector was broken. You couldn't get on anything. Nothing, you know, the website wasn't very clear. So um I was like two or three years removed, and they were like, Well, we'll just we'll just waive the two years that you didn't pay and you just pay the regular rate for this year. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not you know, serving at a church got church at the moment, but I'm, I would like to get my credentials because I still do wedding ceremonies and X, Y, Z. But like it was $40 and I'm like, that's fine. It's whatever. But I asked them two questions, Scott. I was like, what does this go to? And what happens if I don't pay? And nobody that I talked to at Church of God Anderson Ministries could answer that question or those two questions. Huh. And I'm like, why can't you answer my question? I kept saying, so what happens if I don't pay? Obviously, I have been practicing for three years and had not paid. Right? And I think it's different every state because you mentioned Virginia. I'm in Ohio. 
like I had done, I don't know, in that time frame, a couple of weddings. So like I have to be a licensed minister in order to perform wedding ceremonies, right? Or ordained or, or whatever. Yeah. So like the the Chog police didn't come out of the out of the woods and, and handcuff me because I didn't pay my fees. So um I, I don't know. I, I really don't. And so like back to your original question, the rate is forty bucks. The original rate was forty dollars. So like okay. there's two categories. One is the minister registration and then church registration. So your church pays a fee every year to be associated with the Church of God. Ministers get to pay. So like a minister pays $40 per year. Church registration is $65 a year. That's the old rate. So like if you're on staff at a church, Scott, in most cases, churches will pay your registration. But the, but the church also has to pay a registration fee to be associated with the church. July of 23, which is this year in a couple of months, the new rate is going to be $60 for a minister. Mm. And then the church is going to go from $65 to $210. What? And by in, in July of 24, it's going to go up again. Minister registration in 2024 is going to be $85 for pastors. And then the church rec- recognition is going to go up to $360 a year. So that's you know, a jump, right? My so, goodness. So from now, currently, ministers pay forty dollars, and they're going to go to eighty-five, which is more than double the rate. Church registration is going to go from sixty-five dollars to three hundred and sixty dollars. You have no words. <laughs> I, 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 well, I mean, I, I mean, he. It's it's always weird because anytime when you hear this is you know I'm always feel like you're you're you go into defense mode, you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, you know, obviously things. I mean, but that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't mind if that was the case because I know I talked about at least a few episodes back where I had a friend who went through the whole process of trying to find a church after he had been pastoring for so long due to some past church hurt gets a church down in louisiana and within like a couple weeks is voted out they just sold their home in indiana and they basically left with nothing and and that was just a very hard emotional time for them Mm -hmm. and it's like What's the Church of God going to do in situations like that? Well, there's nothing they can do because there's no, it's not like the National or Louisiana State going, oh, we're so sorry this happened here. We're going to give you, you know, we're going to kind of give you like, you know, we're going to pay for your moving costs. We're going to help with this or that, like, or, you know, we're just going to give you like a bigger severance because the church didn't give you anything. So we'll give you something, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be a large gift anything big or monaculate or earth or life-changing it could just be a simple kind gesture so it like you know so if there's is an increase we're going from like 40 to 80 okay well that extra 40 you know is some of that going to go to help with pastors is some of that going to go so that if there's any training instead of paying extra money to do some of these like church of god like training things that you can do like is it there's so many questions. And I think well, even going from a jump from churches going from 65 to almost $300. No, to over that's 300. Insane. Yeah, three, three over 360. 
360, that's that's nuts. Oh, especially I wanna, if good. Uh, I don't know. But especially well, I want to read I want to read something I'm, else that goes you know further down in the email okay. that would that's probably but even I'm thinking even about more. some of your smaller churches. Like let's say your churches that only have like 40 people, small country church, maybe out in the hills of West Virginia, mm-hmm. who, you know, maybe that $65 just to say that they're associated with the church of God is kind of already stressing the budget and now they're going to have to pay $360. I mean, and I know it's going to happen if they're, if they want to keep being associated with the church of God, it's going to be like, okay, sorry, pastor, we're cutting your salary. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad, I'm glad that you said that Scott, because uh, you said you did not get this email. I did not get this email. Okay. So later in this email, there's like, it's kind of like a, a form stack and yeah. it's like, you know, questions that you may have, right? And then they try to answer them as best as they can. So I read this question and I showed my wife last week and then I was like, does this answer make sense or is that even an answer? So the question proposed is how many churches contribute financially to the Church of God? Church of God Ministries answer, Scott, was currently there are close to 2,000 Church of God congregations within the United States and Canada. Less than 50%, less than 50% of all Church of God congregations in the United States and Canada contribute financially, yet everyone benefits. Registration is one way you can partner with the movement denomination to bring the kingdom to life. All financial contributions, including registration, go to support mission-critical training, financial relief, ministerial support and so much more okay but less than two that or less than 50 percent of all church god congregations in the united states can contribute financially to church god okay so here here's my issue and it's the same issue i have with state with the state ministers and the state missions stuff okay so Let me let me go back. So back when I was still back when years ago, before I even left to go to Virginia, when I was ministering up in Youngstown, Ohio, or Cortland, Ohio, to be specific, um, I would go when I was in when I further back when I was an intern at Talmadge, I would go. We get these big long spreadsheets about the budget, Ohio Ministries budget. And you could see every single church that was on there. And sometimes you could be looking at these churches and you would see this church gives this much money. But then you can look at some of the bigger churches and you notice that there'd be a big fat zero that they Mm. give to state, which I always had an issue with that. I'm like, okay, if you're one of the largest churches, why are you not giving money to? Why aren't you contributing? Why aren't you? Why aren't you contributing? So then I don't know if there was some fallout because that's the way they did it or they want to make things shorter. but eventually. They just started printing off the financial contributions to church from churches to just all the ones who are actually giving to Ohio ministry. They didn't even include all the churches that weren't giving. And again, this is still kind of right when we're still maybe a little bit less than 200 now, but we're still like at 190, 180 churches in Ohio, Church God Church in Ohio. And when I would look at that list, I would see that the amount of churches that were giving were on one sheet of paper and it wasn't like a 12 font. This was like a 26 font. And I counted 
And I think there was maybe 18 churches that gave to Ohio Ministries. The very top church, I remember the very top church was Meadow Park Church, mm -hmm. which gave, which contributed to 11% of their budget. When I actually went down and just counted just the churches in Northeast Ohio, Cortland, Ohio, I'm a bivocational pastor in Cortland, Ohio. Cortland, Ohio was the top third giver to Ohio Ministries. The other two was Talmadge First Church of God, the church that I grew up in. And I believe the second one was, um, it was a church in Akron. And I believe it was, um, I can't I can't think of the name, but it was the one that Jim Roma pastored. And Dan Betts was the youth pastor there at that time. Can't remember the name of it. But um, yeah, and I'm sitting here thinking and I go, okay, there's an issue when this bivocational pastor in his church is the third largest giver just from the representing Northeast Ohio, like throughout all churches, I think we were eighth mm -hmm. through all the churches in Ohio. A bivocational pastor's church is the eighth largest donor for the entire state of Ohio ministries. That's messed up. That's messed up. And then even when I was interning at, um, even when I was interning being an interim at Wyndham, which was a very small, small church who could barely even hire a church. They were on the list and they weren't the very last one, but they, all they would do is at the end of the month, they would do like everyone bring your coins. We we're going to dip them into a jar. And that's what we're giving to Ohio ministries. And just them collecting loose coins at the end of every month and giving it, they ended up giving at least $500 to Ohio ministries from you loose change for the year by doing it 12 times a month, $500. And you wonder why people don't trust churches. It's it's ridiculous. And, and this is not a knock on Ohio Ministries at all. It's a knock at all the churches who are not given to Ohio Ministries. Where I would kind of switch gears on this topic is what is, and maybe this is the big question, what's, what is Ohio Ministries or Virginia Ministry or Church of God Ministries of Virginia or all these state ministries who are having these same issues? What are they doing to encourage the churches that are not giving to give to Ohio ministries and actually it's, have that conversation. And I, and I think sometimes maybe within, I think sometimes it's easier, which goes back, maybe it's easier to build church plant because if the state of Ohio is giving money to build a church plant, it's almost like, okay, we gave you money. Now you gotta, you gotta give back to Ohio ministries through your tithes and offerings. Like, I don't know if it's like that, deal and that's why because in some of these churches that are more established are not giving it's like well and that's always the thing or maybe that people don't give because they're like well what is actually the estate ministry is going to do to us what are they going to do to help us if we're ever in trouble i mean i had that conversation where literally in virginia sitting in a administrative meeting and one person goes why are we giving money to the state because if we ever get into like a very financial bind or we get to the point where you have to close our doors, is the state going to come and help us out? And when they asked that question, I said, if you want my honest opinion, I don't think so. Because I don't think there's anything within all our funds or in the budget. And I was, you know, kind of going to all these meetings, these state meetings and stuff and voting on budgets, saying no budgets or thing. It's like if they can't even pay their state minister full time. 
in Virginia, I don't think there's a fund where if a church is about to close the doors, they're going to say, okay, hey, we're going to give you some money to keep you afloat. And then we're going to re and we're going to send some people to kind of restructure and refigure your, your bylaws, your church structure, everything else. Like there's nothing. And then they asked, well, what about Anderson? Would Anderson do something? And it was like one of those things where I'm like, I don't think Anderson will do anything either. And then of course the question is, then why are we giving to these why are we giving to Anderson and to Ohio Ministries or to, or to Virginia Ministries? And it's like, well, because that's what we're supposed to do. You know, it's like if people are giving money to the church and we're using it to do ministry here, we're also funding ministry, state ministries. We're also funding national ministries, too. Like it all goes to ministry, like a portion of our stuff to Anderson goes to the missionaries that we're sponsoring. So, you know, there's certain things where it's like, okay, but those are the kind of questions that people are asking. I'm sure people are asking the same question, like, well, then why give if they're not going to help us or do anything? If Or be transparent with, be with trans- where the money's going. And that's another big thing. And that's the big thing I always hark on about transparency. If you're not being transparent about why we're having this increase, and I'm sure when they say, hey, churches, for your church registration, it's going to go from 60 to 360. There better be some people going, whoa, wait a minute. What's this going to be? And, and, oh, well, it's going to benefit which ministries? Like, be very specific. Which ministries? I want to see a breakdown. Like, for me, I want to see a breakdown of where this $360 is going. I want to see, like, a portion's going to this, a portion's going to this. I want to see it. Because if I'm not, if you can't show me where all this money's going to, because if it's, if it, if in a regular church, if you get a church budget in a regular church and they break everything down to where, how much money's coming in and where it's going, everybody in the church knows that where it's going. They know what's going to salary, what's going to missions, what's going to utilities. They know all of that. But if your state ministries are not being transparent of where things are going and why you're going to have to pay an astronomical amount of money just to keep your church registered associated with the church of God, then that's a problem. That's a huge problem for me. Um, And not just where it's going, but specifically like laid out. And I don't think there's a PDF or a spreadsheet or a Excel sheet attached to that email with a breakdown of what all this is going to go to. Right. Yeah. So no, I'm being sarcastic. Facetious. <laughs> so two things really quickly. One, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the whole churches affording things and you had the conversation about, you know, smaller churches stepping up and really supporting and trying to be in the top third at the time when you did that and you saw that, right? On the same email, it says, one of the questions was, what if my church is too small and we can't afford it? Their answer is, it is not our desire to change, be a burden, or it's it is not our desire that this change be a burden for churches and ministries. If there is a financial hardship associated with this increase, please contact our office. The next question, and back to the, so so like when I asked, when we started this conversation, Scott, what happens if we don't pay, right? Do we lose our license, right? So the next question is, do I have to pay if I'm retired? Their response is, while retired ministers are still expected to register, the registration phase registration fee is waived. If you are retired and wish to support churches and ministers experience financial hardship that prohibits them from paying the registration fee, please contact our office. So if you're retired, you don't have to pay and you don't lose your license. 
Well, that's weird because I know like sometimes if you go through the menu on 24-7 Chog, even retired ministers paid something, but it was way less. It was like maybe 15 bucks, 20 bucks. But the first one, the, the first question, what happens if my church is too small? Well, please contact our office. We'll work something out. It's almost like you're being punished. Like it's, it's almost like you got to pay taxes. <laughs> or like if you have like a if you have like a credit card statement that's overdue or a medical bill that's overdue. We'll work with you. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. And it goes back to the question. 2000 churches are associated with the church of God. And less than 50% less are paying. 50% is paying for it. Here's my thing. If we're basing, and I don't know how they do their budget over there in Anderson, but if you're basing your budget on an average of 2,000 churches, if they give X amount of money, and you're getting only 50% of that, then that's not good. At the same time, if they're associated, being associated with the Church of God means that there's certain perks with the Church of God, right? So if you're, so if they're associated with the Church of God, but they're not paying, and to me, if they're not paying, then they shouldn't be associated with the Church of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if I'm giving money to the Church of God, then my church is associated with the Church of God. You know, if we're paying our dues, then, you know, Cortland First Church of God is associated with the Church of God. Stanton First Church of God is being, is associated with the Church of God. But, I mean... But if there's a church that's not even giving to the state, which I know there's a big church in Virginia that doesn't even function or do things with state programming at all, and they're not, it's like, are they associated with the church of God? Are they giving money to Anderson? And if they're not, then how come they're always being featured in all these big things? Or how come it's like, oh, we're asking this church to host this uh, roundtable or this cluster group? But yet they're not giving any money to Anderson. And I don't know. That's that's just me thinking. Like, is it because we still say that they're associated with us because they are a larger church? I mean, it'd be like if Jordan's church, like one of the biggest Church of God churches in Oklahoma, are not actually giving to Anderson. Are they still a Church of God church and if they're not giving to Anderson? And I think that's a very legitimate question. And if and if they're not, then why are we saying that, oh, yeah, there's 2,000? No. It should say we have 1,000 churches that are associated across the U.S. and Canada, and 100% or 98% and 100% are giving to them. I mean, if you say 2,000 are associated with us, but only half of them are giving, then I feel like those other half that are not giving aren't associated with the movement. I mean, not, because now all, because them not being, because them not paying their dues is affecting those who do mm. and not just the big churches it may not it may not affect chartel's budget it may not affect fairfax's budget but it's definitely going to affect first church of god in cortland's budget it's definitely going to affect uh first church of god in stanton's budget it's probably going to affect some of the other smaller churches that i have interned or interim it's going to affect their budget and i would even say wait my home church, Thomas First Church of God. Yeah, it's a medium-sized church. They do great ministry. I'm not really sure how their budget is. But still, going from 60 to 360, even a medium-sized church, that's going to affect their budget in a huge way. 
And if you're not going to be transparent and telling me where it's going, or if you're going to say, well, we can't pay this. Well, hey, call us and we'll work something out. It's like, you're, are you a loan shark now? Are you a college where, oh, I need financial assistance. So here, am I going to what? It's financial oh, aid for churches. It's financial aid for churches to pay <laughs> to pay their dues. Like, come on, man. Um, one of the last questions. I mean, I haven't even. I, we haven't even hit half of the questions on this email. But Jeez. one of the last one of the last ones I'll read. You'll you'll appreciate this. It's because it's Atlas related. Oh gosh, are we having to pay more because of Atlas? Oh my gosh, no. The response is Church of God Ministries continues to incur expenses to enhance the platforms to better serve regions, credentials, teams, and ministers. The reality is that the reality is that it costs money to do ministry. Atlas is one of the tools in which we have invested to do ministry more effectively. In addition to doing Atlas or to building, um, I'm sorry, in addition to building Atlas, there are several other ministry outputs and administrative services provided to serve or to, to best serve you. Your face right now. I wish you know what that is. I want to know who wrote this. I, I a site that literally crashes. Not, doesn't work. You haven't been able to pay your thing. You had to call to pay your thing because the you couldn't do it through the site. A site where I put my information in and then I just checked, like literally before we got on, just so I could actually just see what the original price was for ministers, and they have my information wrong. A site where I'm not even associated with the Church of God Church, and I have two people on staff, and one of them is Stephen Roby. Saying that he's part of my staff, and I'm so confused. Like, why is he part of my staff? It's like the church, when you click on, because if you go to Atlas, for those who don't know, you can click on you, and you can click on the church you're associated with it. So you can kind of do both at the same time. Before you had to log out, put in a new username, and then go in there. Anyway, so it's more streamlined, I guess. But even when it says I'm associated with the ministry and not a church, they had two chaplains that were part of my ministry team. And one of them is not only a chaplain, but he's also a pastor out in Virginia Beach that I know very well. And it's like, that's weird. Like, why is that part of my, why is he part of my team at this non-existent church? Like, it's stuff like that, that, well, I know after Atlas, I know after Atlas launched, I started getting a lot of phone calls about senior pastor positions. And I'm not, I've never been a senior pastor and I've never expressed interest in that. And I remember when Ministry Connector was a thing, I filled out the little the check boxes, like part time, full time, bivocational, worship, creative arts, associate pastor. Not once have I ever said that I wanted to be a lead pastor. And yet I'm getting all these phone calls about, hey, this church in, um, you know, I don't know, Missouri is looking for a part-time or bivocational lead pastor. And I'm like, I'm not moving my wife halfway across the country for a bivocational position. So you're getting, you're getting senior pastor positions and you're not even a lead pastor, you're a worship pastor. I'm not mm. even getting emails. I mean, besides the generic, like, Hey, here's the overall church of God newsletter, but anything like that, like price increases, I'm not getting that. And even someone who is a church of God minister out in Oklahoma, is not even getting those emails too. And I'm kind of curious how many people who are listening to this that are ordained in the church of God even got that email about the price increase. And then when they go in the register, they're going to find out the hard way that, hey, guess what? 
you're now going to have to pay double, triple, and, tri- and triple next year. Yeah, yeah. Is it going to go up every year? I guess is my question. Or is that third rate by the time we hit twenty four going to? be I tell you rate? what, if people, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that maybe they sent out maybe they sent out that email so entice people to go to Tampa to complain about it. That's a thought. I mean, seriously. I mean, the man attendance is low in Tampa. We got to make people mad here. We're going to increase the pastor and church registration. Wow, everybody, look, we have doubled. We are, we have packed this place out. So, <laughs> yeah. One of the other things <laughs> at the top of the email that I didn't read or share. Uh, says what is the purpose of registration and why does cost or why does it matter and it says registration is meaningful for many reasons one is it is a way to express your your individual and collective commitment to being part of the church of god movement in addition it gives us an opportunity as a movement to act on act on one accord for the future of the church annual registration is a statement of covenant relationship and requirement of all ministers according to the current version of the credentials manual Okay. Well, here's a question. So out of those 2,000 churches, again, you said... Well, that that aren't paying. The 50% that aren't paying. Are they so, not credentialed ministers? Are their churches not associated with the Church of God anymore? But that's the thing. Like, for the churches who are giving, for the churches who are giving, you know, a tenth of their annual income that they go get from tithes and offerings that they give to Anderson, can we say those churches that are giving, hey... Since your church is giving, you don't have to pay your church registration fee because you're already giving. Mm-hmm. And then those who want to be associated with us who are not giving, the only thing we're asking you is to pay. The, that would be even make more sense. We're asking you for a minimum of $360 to be associated with the Church of God. But for those who are actually being faithful and giving to the Church of God, who are giving the $500 from loose coins every year, you don't have to pay that because you're actually being faithful in giving to to fund the mission of the church of god like i feel like that's a little bit more fair at least that way it's saying okay everybody who's giving great you're part of the church of god movement we you're you don't have to pay your church registration fee but why is but it going up by who are not giving 360 now ministers I mean, that's the thing. Like, even if you're a minister and you're not with the Church of God, I mean, you could still do weddings and funerals and do all that stuff with your ordination. Like, or you could do chaplaincy. Like, for me, I'm like, okay, maybe you submit pastors still need to pay it. The increase, you know, questions about that. But at least I can understand pastors still paying their thing. But churches? I mean, then you don't even have to put the thing of, what if I, my church can't afford it? I mean, maybe if you have a church that, A, is not even giving anything to Anderson, and the reason why is because they can't afford it, then those are the type of people who are calling. But the people who are already giving faithfully with what little they can to Anderson, and now you're expecting them to pay another $360 on top of that? I mean, to me, that 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 bothers me so much. That bothers me so much. And again, I'm I'm not... And again, I'm looking for those mid-sized to small churches who it's probably going to have the greater impact on. And not only that, but they could even say, okay, well, we give $2,000 to Anderson. We're now only going to give $1,700 to Anderson because the $300 
we're just going to take the three hundred three hundred dollars for a church registration out of the giving we do to the national office. But why and then they're going to be tripling? like, oh, well, why is our budget smaller? Well, your budget's smaller because you just increased everything and people have to, you know, try to figure out where that extra money that they now have to pay is coming from. But why is it tripling? Yeah. And why now? And why now? Yeah. Especially, especially, and I mean, this is going to sound really bad, especially since your general director is going to be leaving. Mm -hmm. And if your general, and think about it, if your general director gets paid a salary, and let's say if that general director got a raise every year they've been there, well, you get a new director, they're going to be down here. So the cost is probably going to be less, right? Or at least that's my understanding about business world and how things are going. Because when you get a new person in, you can kind of, you can kind of say, okay, here's how much you're going to get. And you can drop it because, again, they're brand new. This is going to be like their first year as general director. And then maybe they get like a little bit of a raise increase each year. I mean, that's more business world. I'm not sure that's what went down. So, But I feel like if you're increasing something, but then you're probably going to have some freedom within your budget because you're going to have some personnel that's going to be retiring or leaving or not fulfilling their commitments, then to me, maybe maybe that increase probably isn't good. Or maybe it's something they've been thinking about a long time. And now that the general director is retiring, they can now increase it because it's like, well, if they want to blame if they want to blame Jim for it, go right ahead because once this term's done, he's out. Like, so let's just do all the stuff we want to do like i don't know it's just so it's wild i don't get it i don't get it and especially for those of you who are listening and especially and especially if you're a church god minister and you're listening to this please send us an email please write a comment but most importantly probably make your voice heard at the national office and going whoa 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 what the heck is this and maybe you didn't get the email too. And if, especially if you're paying for it, if we're paying for a website that's supposed to be good on making things streamlined and communicating all this stuff to us, why are you not getting the emails? As some pastors apparently have not been getting these emails about this price increase. So I don't know if this is breaking news or what this could be, but there you go. So friends, with that being said, I'm getting worked up and I might need to get off before I say something I will regret. So (laughs) friends, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Simmons podcast. I know this was not the cheery episode that we're usually, especially our guardians of the galaxy. episode last week, but I think this is important. And I think it's something that needs to get discussed. And it's something that you guys need to be made aware of because especially there are some people who are not aware that this price increase is happening. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry to kill your weekend. I hope you have a better week next week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.